Bibles are way down, turn to the book of Mark in the 8th chapter. Mark chapter 8. Try that now and see if it'll work. And uh, I invite you again on this past Friday, I did a Friday musing, which I call that, which I have not done in a while as far as the podcast goes. Occasionally something will catch my attention on Friday. Generally, probably 60, 65% of the time, maybe about that, I take Friday off. My wife's grinning, saying maybe. And, uh, but uh, I, put the, uh, I put together about 12 minutes. It's on accreditation. And uh, it's interesting. It's an amazing thought process. That's not, that's not a new one. There's accreditation for a lot of different things in life. And then uh, pre-published this morning, I got up one of the things I was doing earlier this morning. I, I uh, pre-published uh, one that goes out tomorrow morning at 730 and it's on purposeful parables. That one's four minutes and eight seconds, and uh, you'll find it to be helpful in every area, so I hope you get to listen to him. Mark chapter 8, this was uh, uh, an interesting passage here. It's the only example in the Bible of a two-stage healing. That's not really the emphasis tonight, but it's, it's interesting with that. Uh, it's the only example you have of that in the Bible. In Mark chapter 8, and then look in verse 23, there's Jesus here, and uh, well, let's start in verse 22. It says, And he come to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. It's kind of funny, uh, you sent out a text in the men's group text about this. I mean, I was preaching on men as trees, and it was an interesting statement. He said the thought about the man who had the two-step healing he said if he hadn't got the second half of the healing, the first, first part, he sees men as trees, and second part, he saw them in clearly. And uh, Brother Andrew said if he hadn't seen the, uh, got the second part of the healing, he could have spent the rest of his life saying hello to trees and chopping down people. <laughs> I think some people do that second part, don't they, unfortunately. So they brought this blind man and besought him to touch him. Verse 23 and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Isn't that amazing how often the Lord didn't want to show or spectacle out of what was going on? And he led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. And so Jesus did this thing for this man. And uh, in doing so, he uh, healed him as a two-step process in that. I'm not dealing with that tonight, but I want to talk to you about men as trees. Um, several weeks ago, a good number of weeks ago now, I was reading this passage and I was taken by the way the particular, this man, and he's partially healed by the way he saw the men. I don't know why it caught my attention. I thought, saw men as trees, and I got thinking, men as trees. And, and I thought, seems like the Scripture makes references in that line, and I wonder, wonder what it talks about with it. <laughs> if you were in the morning service in here, I told you this morning we, that was the message tonight. I told you it was going to be a botanical service. Can you believe that? Not really. But um, I started looking and I thought, I wonder what all the Bible says about trees and where do our men compared to trees? I got thinking about it. I just started thinking about trees I know. 
I thought about, you know, evergreen tree and, and think about that general classification for a tree. And I thought some people are like that. No matter what season it is, they're, you know, they're bright and they're there and all that. And I got to think about different ones. Um, but I found out when I started studying into it, there are 287 references to tree or trees in your King James Bible. There are 133 references for wood. Totaling 420 tree-related references with just those words being considered. And there are other ways it comes in. I personally, I went through all the verses. I looked it all up, took time, went through them. And I found 35 specific types of trees mentioned by name in the Bible. I didn't know there were that many. There's a veritable forest in here. Here are the trees that are mentioned in the Bible. By the way, don't jump off the ship too early here. I'm going somewhere with all this. There's the poplar tree, the olive tree, the oak tree, cypress, willow, hyssop, which by the way, hyssop proves the point of a thing. Our taxonomical classification may be somewhat different, or botanical classification of it may, may be somewhat different of what we would classify as a tree, but basically the Bible takes any woody plant and, and calls it a tree, and I'll go with what God says since he made them. <laughs> the hyssop, the almug, which is A-L-M-U-G, I don't even know what all these are. I said, why didn't you look them up? Because I wanted to eventually be able to preach a message. This took enough time, trust me. You have the hazel, the sycamore, the shida tree, the ash tree, pomegranate, the brambles called a tree, the oil tree, chestnut, gopher, which is the gopher wood. Of course, it made dark out of that. Myrtle tree, the shidum tree, cedar, the green bay tree, fir tree, Vine tree, palm tree, palm tree shows up a lot, by the way. Juniper, the thion tree, the ling aloes tree. I didn't even know that thing existed in the Bible as much as I've been in it. Fig tree, the teal tree, the box tree, the pine tree, the mulberry tree, and uh, then you have the the uh, the apple tree. You have trees of frankincense, it's called, and of course you have the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Trees everywhere. In addition to these, there are six direct references to kinds of trees, but not specific types. In two cases, two of them run together. You have the wild and the good olive tree in Romans 11, and we'll be dealing with that for a moment. And then you have the green tree and the dry tree. And then you have shady trees, right? And uh, by the way, there's a lot of people, make, or that kind of tree, men as trees, and a lot of shady ones out there, trust me. Uh, and you have... <laughs> You have some shade tree mechanics and you have just some shady ones. Okay? Um, then you have trees planted by the rivers of water. And that's a great thing. Let me show you. Uh, well, I'm not just making things up, trying to play with words and that kind of thing. Look in Judges chapter 9. And uh, Judges chapter 9, you have very specific references to men being equated with trees. Interesting passage going on here. And I'm not going to expound all of it, but I want you to see something. Judges chapter 9. Joshua, Judges. What comes next? There was, a, let me just condense it by saying, there was, there was a conflict over who was made king, and uh, been a lot of people executed to make the man who was becoming king, king. And all this going on. And so, Verse 7, we'll find out about this. It says, And when they told it to Jotham, 
He stood, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, you men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. And they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine which cheereth God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble, <laughs> Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the, to the trees, If in truth you anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. What he's referring to there is the uh, one who had been anointed. They had, they had killed 70 of the sons of Zerubbabel, which is Gideon, in order for him to become king. But in this and what was going on, this parable, if you will, was given at that time, equating what the men did and different types of trees. And of course, saying uh, the one that was ruling them was nothing more than a bramble. And so that went with that. Another well-known passage and better-known passage from men as trees is Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Let me revisit with you that account and what happened. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, was the king of Babylon, which at that time was the most uh, powerful and influential kingdom in all of the world. And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He had two different dreams in, in the book of Daniel. Had one in Daniel chapter 2 and then again in Daniel chapter 4. The one in Daniel chapter 2 is when he saw the great image rise up and he couldn't remember the dream and couldn't remember what the dream was about. And that's when Daniel came to the forefront and God, God used him to interpret the dream. In Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a huge tree. And this tree is so large it can be seen from all points of the earth. He said it could see it from everywhere. The fowls of the air came and lodged in its branches. The, the beasts of the field uh, were under its shade and were fed by its fruit. And when he saw, he said there was the watchers and the holy ones, which are never defined further than that in the Scripture. They gave an edict that the tree be cut down, but that a band, brass and iron, be put around it, and that it, the, the, the stump be preserved. And that it be wedded with the dew of heaven seven times. I believe showing seven years. And then afterwards, it would be restored. And so he was troubled by this dream. And when he told the dream, Daniel, by the interpretation of God, said, uh, let, this, uh, let this dream be to your enemies. He said, uh, God's determined that you're going to be cut down, Nebuchadnezzar. And he said there's a purpose behind it. And it, by the way, it's the overriding theme of the book of Daniel. Till thou know that the Lord God ruleth among the kingdom of men. And I think there's some people in our country getting ready to find that in a hurry. The blood of the innocents cry against them. Um, among other things. But he said, 
till thou know that the Lord God ruleth in the kingdom of man and giveth it whosoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Certainly we've seen that prophecy. And so Nebuchadnezzar one day walked out on his palace. It was a year later. Daniel pled with him. Said, break off your sins. Uh, do good to people. He said, it might be a lengthening of your tranquility. It's interesting. Daniel never said this might bypass you. He said it's, it's going to happen, but maybe this could happen and you know, there'd be a little bit of peace. You remember Nebuchadnezzar. He went out there and he didn't get it. And he went out and looked over Babylon absolutely fabulous in its construction, its design, its, its power, its influence, its merchandise, all that it did. What an amazing thing it was. And as he looked over the 666 different sections of that city, that the way old Babylon was laid out, and he was out on his palace and by Nebuchadnezzar's own, uh, own uh, testimony later when he found out who the God of heaven is. And see, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was this huge guy and everybody else trembled at him and then he found out he wasn't anything. And that was a good day for Nebuchadnezzar. But he said, I was flourishing in the palace. You get the idea of that? Nothing could touch him and all this going on. And he walked out and he looked over Babylon and he said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built for the might of my power, for the excellency of my glory? And there came a voice from heaven. And immediately he was stricken down and became like a wild animal. You remember that about him? His hair grew till it was like eagle's feathers. His, his nails grew till they were like claws. He ate grass. And he was driven out from men in the dew of heaven wedded him for seven years. Then his brightness and his understanding returned and he, in his own words, said he praised and extolled the God of heaven. And he said, all of the kingdoms of the world are nothing before him. Nebuchadnezzar got the, got the picture, didn't he? He went back. Do you know what a miracle it is for that, that uh, almost unspeakably complex and large kingdom to have remained intact for seven years? And then for the man who had been ruling it to be put back into power, only God could do that. There are some who have wondered, and I'm among the number that wonder about it, although there's no, nothing in the Bible that can tell us of a certainty with it, and, and that's God's design that way. But I wonder if Daniel did not have a strong hand in that kingdom staying together. He was there for that time. But here he was. He was a man as a tree, and he found out some things about it, didn't he? Um, men as trees, they're, uh, they're Daniel's there, or Nebuchadnezzar's like that. We found the thing in Judges. There are other instances. Jesus heals this man, and he asks him, first time he says, Can you see aught? What can you see? He said, I see men as trees walking. <laughs> They'd see some of us, and some of us, you know, they think some of y'all pretty good size. You know, that's a big one, right? There goes a stump walking along, right? There goes, you know. Different size ones. I declare them. That's one of those Balboa trees. It gets about that big around. And there goes one. And uh, he saw them. Here's some thoughts about men as trees. One lesson from men as trees is that men like trees are subject to forces outside their control. We learned that from Daniel, but we also in the book of Daniel, but we also learned it from the things God says about trees. There's a passage I didn't know existed. It's a pretty amazing study. God gave specific command to the Israelites when they besieged a city in warfare. They were not to wipe out all the good trees around that city. While they were encamped around the city, God said, do not destroy all the good trees around the city. Isn't it amazing how much God always teaches stewardship? You remember that God created the world 
And he created mankind in his image. Only creation made like that. We're not animals. We're not evolved animals. We are made in the image of the living God. And it is a grotesque blasphemy of God to say that we are evolved animals. We were made in His image. We're different than that. You say, well, a lot of the DNA and stuff matches. Well, that's because we're made out of the same raw material, but we're made differently as we're made a living soul. <laughs> um, you all probably have some firewood at home. A bunch of you all do. Somewhere, right? But I would really appreciate if you didn't take the oak flooring out of those boxes and take it home for firewood. It may all be wood, but it's made for different purposes. The distinction between man and animal is far more than that. And so, man was made to, to rule the world in the same manner that God would rule it. With the same care. With the same oversight. With the same wanting to take care of things. And so, here he is. And, and we have men as trees. And, and God said, when you go in and besiege a city, don't wipe out the, the trees in the field. And it's an interesting phrase. He said, the life of man is in the trees of the field. How long did it take science to figure out about our necessity of oxygen, about how it happens with the soil, about all the things? And they say, oh, we need the trees. Well, God said that way back yonder. He said, you need them. This, this is what you need. And so uh, we are subject to forces outside our control. Here's some things that affected trees in the Bible. I found hail. They got, they got wiped out by hail. Um, frost even killed some of them. Uh, we've had winters cold enough. You go back and read about in the 1700s, they had, they had some winters cold enough in Ohio that it killed some of the hardwood trees. There are even cases of trees bursting open from the cold with moisture gotten in them. I believe I'd rather leave that in the 1700s. I don't know about you all. That'd be okay. Um, hail, frost, ravages of war, locusts. You say, okay, preacher, what's the point with that? Men like trees are affected by outside forces. My mom used to have a statement she'd made. She'd say, honey, even, even an iron horse wears out eventually. Uh, my stepdad used to try to get me. I've always kind of went completely at whatever I've done. And, and he used to say, burning the candle on both ends, son. And I'd say, man, that makes for a bright light. And he'd just shake his head. I think he's giving up on me. <laughs> Can't do anything with young guys sometimes. And... Uh, <laughs> But we are subject to things. Now, here's the important thing about it. And I understand I'm speaking to a generation of Americans that have uh, far too closely embraced the idea of victimhood and everyone has their story of angst to tell and all that stuff. But, you know, we do have to understand that things affect us. We do have to understand there are outside forces. Yeah, I wonder... How annoying, may I use that word? How annoying it is to the Lord when we have in our Bible that we believe is actually the Word of God. We have an entire section of the Bible, an entire passage, where God goes into great detail to explain why we should not say, I will go into such a city and continue a year and buy and sell and get gain. We shouldn't say that declaratively. But rather, we should say, if the Lord will, we will go do this. And he says, for what is your life? You know that passage. It's but a what? Vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes away. For the which we ought to say, 
The Lord will. We will do thus and such. It's not just a cute phrase. God said, when we boast ourselves of tomorrow, when we boast ourselves of what we're going to do next and how everything's going to work out and what we're going to do at this stage of life, when we boast ourselves of that, the Bible says in that same passage, all such boastings are evil. Why? Why are they evil? Because we assume and we presume too much. There's a difference between making wisdom and the wise and coordinated plans to act according to wisdom and plan according to wisdom and then saying, Lord will. And part of what happens, part of what happens in our spirit, when that boasting spirit's there, when the, I, this is going to work this way and this is a sure deal and this is going to go on, when that spirit's there and then things don't work out that way, now I know that wouldn't happen. But just in theory, in case it didn't quite work out that way, We've become frustrated and angry. And sometimes it even poisons our spirit towards our God. Because we start acting like little bratty children. Why didn't it work out this way? I don't understand. Or here are classic lines I've heard. I tried to do everything right, but it didn't work out. Well, aren't you wonderful? Well, I did my best. May our heart get to a point where we trust God for what is actually best. I'm not any happier than you are when I play things and they go crazy. <laughs> you ever have one of those days where about two hours into it, you realize probably going back to bed is the best option in the world? <laughs> and, and not necessarily because you're tired, but just because it feels like you started out tripping over your own left foot and you're not going to get any better on that. You ever have one of those? Every single thing you try to do seems like it's taken. Each road you cut down, there's a block on the road. Whatever, whatever line you go to in the store, that register breaks. Or that person there has no clue. Or worse yet, they have to count out change and then they're going to be there for an hour. Um, but we are affected by things outside our control. I hope that our love for our Savior is not really so shallow that we can only honor and praise and worship Him if we can understand why things are happening the way they are. At some point, it would be wonderful if we would grow into a maturing love that says we can trust our Daddy. I couldn't trust my earthly dad. He was not a trustworthy individual. Now, my stepdad, he'd give his word to you, he'd keep it. He had a lot of integrity and character in that area. But you know, it's been a wonderful thing for these coming towards 42 years of knowing the Lord is my Savior. It's been a wonderful thing to find out when I accepted Christ that I got a heavenly Father that's totally trustworthy. And it's kind of neat. Forgive me. I just kind of get excited about things with it. I'm still learning it over and over again. And sometimes it seems like, even at this stage of life, that there's a freshness. It's sort of like that dew every morning. It's sort of like the mercies of God which are new every morning. It's sort of like realizing again, 
Lord, I can trust you now. Say, I first learned to trust him to a degree, and the degree that I needed, I hope, as a teenager, and then as a young adult, and then a young married man, and then with young children, and then middle age, and then, oh my goodness, this timeline's getting too long. And then the adult children and grandchildren. <laughs> we can trust him. Then another thing I saw that this thing that we're subject to forces outside our control, it's offset by the chance of renewal, which speaks to what I'm saying. Listen to this, this verse from the book of Job. Let me just read it to you. This is from Job chapter 14. It says, For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. There's hope of renewal. Thank God for it. Oh, I know one day we'll get a new body. Oh, I'm telling you, the Lord showed me something today in the Scripture. I've got to study it out further. Blew my mind. Do you know that death is not yet fully defeated? And I'm not going to fuss at anybody. I'll probably say the same thing myself because there's a context to it. But we'll talk about Christ came out of the grave and defeated death. Yes, He did, but it's not yet accomplished. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 talks about Death shall be swallowed up in victory. <laughs> Death is not yet completely defeated. It's blew my mind. I started looking it up. It almost distracted me from what else I was doing this morning. It's a busy, busy morning this morning before church. Death, death is con constrained. It's contained right now. I tell you what I mean. When I pass away, the, it's confined is a good word. The only thing that death can get of me is that which is born dying. So death's reach is limited right now. Me, the part of me that was going towards the second death, on July 26, 1980, when I realized there was a sinner before God, and I realized Christ had died in my place on the cross and had risen with victory, on that day, the new me that was born inside, death can't touch. Amen. Has no power over it. Cannot have power over it. Right. right now, it's confined. But the Bible says, check this verse out. This is what triggered my mind into it. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Thank God. Thank God. You know what? When the Lord takes us to heaven, what's actually happened? He's taken one of His loved ones and our race here is done. This body is no longer capable and worthy of the life which it contains. And He reaches down and takes one of His loved ones and takes us out of the reach of death's grasp. What a beautiful thing that is. So this thing of renewal is not only the fact that one day, thank God, we have a new body we, and, and we live in a new place. You notice I'm being careful? Y'all are watching for that, aren't you? I, you have an evil grin, right? I'm just saying right now, I want to know, have you, have you and that son of yours taken a bet at this point? How long it's going to be before I nosedive over the construction over here? I keep looking down and he keeps going. <laughs> Preach is going to catch it right here in a minute. I'll show you my acrobatics when I do it. Right? The advantage I have, I don't have far to fall if I go down. So it's an advantage of not being tall. Um, 
But but here's the thing about it. Um, not only not only is that going to happen with the new heaven and new earth, but we are renewed day by day. I, I'm excited about that. Today. Well, this is the day that the Lord has made. And it may have been a happy day for some. It may have been a sad day for some. Maybe a mixture for some. Maybe a day of strength for some. And maybe a day of weakness for others. But this is the day that the Lord hath made. He made this day, and I got to live in this day, and I got to I got to be in church today and have the word of God, and I got to be around God's people. And we got to sing about the Lord. Today we're renewed. The outward man perishes. It's a continual thing. You have to work against it. Luke and I were going over a certain exercise for my knee. I ripped this knee completely out of wrestling and uh, didn't have surgery way back then because about 1978, if you had knee surgery, you were done. So I went a different route with it. But every now and then it gives me a little bit of trouble. And uh, he was showing me some things to strengthen it. And he said, Dad, how can I say this nicely? And I said, when did you ever start doing that? <laughs> Who are you? What happened to Luke? Um, so he said, no. He says, uh, you're getting near the age you really need to maintenance those things or they're going to sneak up and get you. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm getting near the age as if you get mouthy, I'm going to sneak up and get you. And so we're going to have this. But renewal, day by day. We have to maintenance and work at this, but thank God there's a renewal within us. May God help you to, to claim what's yours on that. And then this one. This is absolutely amazing. Look in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Oh, this is... It's helpful tonight. You're learning some Bible as you go. But it's just very pleasant. Brother Howes used to have a thing he'd say. He said, every now and then we just get in the family car and drive around on Sunday evening. And that was the idea of God's people just enjoying your Bible and enjoying knowing there's some great things in there for you. <laughs> Isaiah 61. Here, Jesus has quote, quotes this passage when it's revealed that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of this passage. And when he started his public ministry, look what he said, Isaiah 61. This is what Jesus would, over 750 years after this, in fact, about 780 years after this, he would quote this when he began his public ministry. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. Isn't that an amazing way that He phrased that? Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. In Proverbs 11.30, the statement is made, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that wins souls is wise. According to the Bible, everything begets after its own kind. And the trees of righteousness produce trees of life or trees of righteousness with it. It's a wonderful thing. Um, 
What are the natures of the trees of righteousness? Number one, they're grafted in so they shouldn't boast. Let me show you that in Romans chapter 11. Turn quickly over there if you will. Romans chapter 11. What's the nature of trees of righteousness? You know, there are a lot of different natures of trees. Some trees you don't want to plant near your house. Some trees you don't want to plant anywhere near a leech bed, that sort of thing. Any of the willow family will extend their branches approximately a quarter mile to get to it. Um, there are some trees which are no good for city use. To some, some cities plant inappropriate trees between the sidewalks and the street and then <laughs> have the big job of taking those out when they mess up both the sewer system and the sidewalks. And uh, these, there's a lot of different types of things with that. But look, look what it says um, regarding Israel. I want you to, uh, da, 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 da. let's start in verse 13. That would be good. Romans 11, verse 13. It says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. The apostle Paul was that. I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. First, the casting away of them, the Israelites, be the reconciling of the world. What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now he's speaking to the Gentiles. Watch what he says about this. And if some of the branches be broken off, talking about Israel, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. He's warning by the Spirit of God, the Gentile believers, don't get cocky against these Hebrews. Don't say to these Israelites, well, you know, God took the, let's take the gospel to us. You had it. You lost it. He said, don't do that. Look what he said in verse 18 again. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. He said, you're a branch. You aren't the root. How often have I talked on this theme? We need to understand we owe everything to God and uh, we have no right to say here we are and aren't we wonderful people? Well, if God's not going to use us, who's He going to use? He'll use anybody He decides to use. He will use anybody who has a heart towards Him and we need to not be arrogant about things. This is good news for us to hear and to listen to. Look what it says then. Verse 19. Thou will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest He spare, thee not, uh, he spare, uh, lest he spare not thee. Uh, what He said is, look, you were bragging, look at us. He said, you better understand, it's the mercy of God that any of us are saved. So, men as trees, we, what are the trees of righteousness? We're grafted in. I was an alien by birth, outside the commonwealth of God. I was a child of disobedience, even as others. 
I was a child of wrath and a child of destruction. These are all biblical descriptions of me in an unsafe state. Then Jesus came. The tempter's power is broken. What happened? I was made part of the family of God. I used to have that song. It was more of a southern gospel style. I've been adopted and placed with the king. Anybody ever hear that? Shake hands with a poor boy. Of course, they didn't do it quite as well as that. <laughs> Who owns everything? All right. I'm going to quit before you push me off and say the platform did it. All right. I try to do that tenor part. Shake. I can't do it. All right. But the, uh, thank God for it. We're grafted in. I told you, and it was with permission, I told you that when Logan uh, fully adopted Roman after uh, uh, Logan and Bethany were married, and uh, Roman's name was Roman James Taylor, and then uh, Logan went through a lengthy process, and it turned out to be a complicated process of what, 15, 16 months, anyway, right that, to get, to get this adoption done. When it was finally done, he says, Roman legally to be a son. The day Bethany sent me a picture of that, that uh, piece of paper from the Fair or Franklin County Bureau of Vital Statistics. I had no idea this happened at adoption. But he was issued a new birth certificate. Legally, in the eyes of the judge, in the eyes of the court, in all legal standings, Roman James Taylor does not exist. But it's Roman James Manning. And on that birth certificate, the father's name is Logan Curtis Manning. Why? Because of his, his resource and of his goods and of his time and of all that went into it, he said, I want that one to be mine just like Bradley is by blood, just like uh, what's her other one? Marlia is by blood. Poor Mars. She, she's the one who probably likes hanging out with Pappy more than anybody. But I'll get her name eventually. But <laughs> the, uh, but just like their blood, I told you when we set up our will, we were taking care of things, then Stairpes, if I'm saying it right, S-T-I-R-P-E-S means according to bloodline. And I was informed because the adoption wasn't finished yet that someone who is fully legally adopted is just exactly treated as bloodline for all the inheritance of the family. Let me tell you something. Adoption is one of the words that are used in the Bible to describe what happened to us when we came to Christ. We are no longer a child of wrath. We are no longer fitted for destruction. We've been adopted. We are children of the King. Thank God, I'm telling you, it's enough to make a tired Baptist grin. I can't go to hell if I want to. Christ's blood has saved me forever. It's the blood of Christ. And what is it? I have His name. The Bible says when I got saved, there's a new name written down. I've got it. I don't know what it is yet. But I do know this, that the Lord has given me an identity that is uniquely attached to my Heavenly Father. That's why the Bible says we're born again. That's why the word begotten is so important. There was a fellow I saw and he had a shirt on. I appreciate the fact he wanted to be a witness. I wish it had been accurate uh, a scripture on the back of it. It said on the back, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, and whosoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Probably from an NIV right, reading of that. And I thought, I'm glad He wants to be a witness. I hope He's a witness. Maybe He's a man who tries to be a good witness. 
But I said, I wish it was a real scripture back here because the real scripture says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's not one and only. The Bible says, now are we the sons of God, yet it does not appear what we shall be, but when we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. He's not the one and only. Only begotten. That word only begotten is a very unique phrase. It's a unique phrase in the Bible. It's from the word monogenes. It means the same genetic structure. It exactly matches what it teaches us in the Bible, that we are made partakers of the divine nature. Literally, there's a new me born. That day when by faith I got access to His grace wherein I now stand, that it was made new from Jesus Christ. These men as trees, what is it? What are they like? Trees of righteousness are grafted in. Psalm 1, I'll not turn to it. You're, many of you are more familiar with that. But uh, these trees of righteousness are planted by the rivers of water. Not rivers singular, rivers plural. Multiple sources of strength throughout life. Thank God for it. You ever had a time when you couldn't pray? I mean, when you physically, you could not pray. I'm not saying God disallowed you. I've been there. Has anybody else been there? Either didn't know what to pray, how to pray. Seemed like if I began to pray that I was speaking to the air. Just about a week and a half before our conference, just in recent history, in the last few years, I said in a place with nobody from church around me, I wasn't taking calls or anything, and I literally sat in one place and I was dazed. I came back to my office and I literally sat in my office. I wouldn't answer phone or anything with it and I'm looking at the wall. I, I, I tried to do everything I knew and all these years walking with the Lord was strengthened and re-engage myself in nothing with that. You ever been there? You may be there sometime. Huh. Oh, it's amazing. After my senses came back and all this started happening, he said, well, it sounds like you need to eat. I went a little blood sugar crash. I know what that feels like. Um, after I got my senses back and the Lord brought through that particular valley of things, I realized something. God never was dazed. Other than caring for me, which He does, which is me, He wasn't even phased when I was dazed. Some of you all pray for your preacher. I'm glad for that. Maybe you prayed as some prayed today. Lord, bless our preacher and help him to have the words preached to us tonight. At that time, I was just saying, Lord, help me talk again at some point. <laughs> just put two or three words together would be good. And then that's the kind of week, and this is kind of funny. The preachers in the room will appreciate it. That's the kind of week he touches your heart to preach on David and encourage himself in the Lord or something like that. <laughs> really, Lord? Shouldn't I preach that when I'm topside? He said, when, when don't you learn to preach it when you when you got nothing but me to hang on to? There you go. That'd help, wouldn't it? And uh, planted by the rivers, multiple streams. Different things, different ways. And then, <laughs> look at this one. This is amazing. Look in Psalm 104. I'm not going to hold you long tonight, but there was so much stuff. I could have kept us off in the woods here forever tonight. Promise you, a lot of trees in this forest. Psalms is P-S-A-L. And I got it there. Psalms. I was in Proverbs looking for my passage. You know there is not a Proverbs 104 no matter what you do. In the wrong book, looking for the right thing there. Psalm 104. <laughs> this one's great. 
And some of you of the more slightly twisted sense of humor, which is indigenous to our congregation, you'll appreciate it with this. Psalm 104. Oh no, that's not it. Where are they? There they are. Verse 16. Sorry. I went down one to, to I jumped to jump to column. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. <laughs> the cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted. Now you can have fun with that. Some of you already are. And in our way of talking, in our vernacular, especially a little bit more of a slang vernacular, that's a funny sounding thing, isn't it? But a tree that's full of sap is a tree that's fully healthy. It's a tree that's strong. It's a tree that is not blighted by disease, not ravaged by insect, that's still in its bearing years and still has strength to it. And the Bible said that Jesus would come and He would preach and the men would be called trees of righteousness. So, pardon my, I'm not trying to make a pun here. I'm not a field by saying men with trees. I'm not making something up. I'm not trying to be cute with words. The references keep going back. Why well, cut? It's a wonderful passage. Forgive me for quoting Spurgeon again. Came to my mind here. Uh, and another thing I read is he said, "Be wise and see the pattern of the heavenly and the earthly." It's a tremendous bit of advice. Be wise and see the pattern of the heavenly and the earthly. In other words, God. The Bible teaches us the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. God wants to show us in this natural world that He has made things about Himself. These trees full of sap means there's a life. There's a vitality. There's seasons, aren't there? If you know, if you do tree work, and especially if there's any type of trying to work with trees, not just cut them down or something, there are times it's best to move a tree, times it's not best. There are times it's best to prune a tree, times it's not best. And that's according to where the sap is, whether it's rising or going down, according to the seasons. In your life, uh, you will have seasons. Uh, when you drive by and you look at the wintertime, our hills, when the leaves are down off of, of course, everything but the coniferous trees and you have the, the different evergreens of such, but when you're looking at the trees, from a distance, they all look rather dead. The leaves are gone. And what do you do? If you want to know for sure which trees are healthy and alive, you wait till you can see the foliage come on. But our life is not all times of fruit bearing it. We, in fact, even the tree planted by the rivers of water um, bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Now it's interesting, its leaf, leaf never withers. So there's not a time when it doesn't have vitality of life. But not every season is a season of bearing. Doesn't mean we can't do anything for the Lord, but there are strong seasons and lesser seasons. And we need to learn these things. Let me show you another thing with this. Um, lesson in the variety of the uses. When you start studying about trees and wood and all that in the Bible, you find that some trees are used with, for food, fruit trees. By the way, the first trees mentioned in the Bible are fruit-bearing trees. It's the first tree. And that sets a precedent for what we're supposed to be, fruit-bearing. But they're used for food. They're used for healing. They're used for building. They built the temple. Um, building houses, building ships, etc. But unfortunately, they're also used as idols. Both the trees individually and groves. In fact, they were not allowed to plant a grove of trees near the temple. It's an interesting prohibition. Later on, they worshipped the groves that were put there near that temple. And so, what happens with it? Um, 
Some were used for idols. And I got the thing on that and I thought, well, what am I seeing with that? And it's real simple. There's a great potential for good and a great potential for evil. You know, not everybody in this room will have a public position before people in any way. But all of you will have influence in your life. Oh, not me. I'm just going to keep to myself. No man's an island. No man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. You affect other people also. All of you not only will, but do have influence. Let's use our influence for the Lord. Let's use it for good. Well, I don't know how much influence I have. That's exactly the point. You don't. And it's foolish to try to measure it. Instead, do what you do well and do it for the Lord and see what God can do. Then, these two New Testament thoughts regarding men as trees, and uh, it'll bring this botanical sermon to a conclusion, and I hope to fruition. Right? That'd be a good thing. Matthew 7 teaches us that you can know a tree by its fruit. You can know a tree by its fruit. You read down through there, and I'm not going to go in great detail, and uh, we're going to be going that direction in Sunday school within the next couple of weeks. But you know a tree by its fruit, and a tree that does not bring forth fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. And Jesus, it's interesting because we started in Matthew 7 this morning, judge not that you be not judged, with what judgment you judge shall be judged against you, what measure you meet shall be meet against you. Remember that? And that passage, though, goes right in, right after that. You come, you, you, one other thing, and then you come right into where he says, uh, men shall, you know them by their fruit. You don't gather figs of thorns. And so the chapter that starts out, and it's what we taught in Sunday school this morning, judgment and judging, where it starts out saying, judge not, lest you may not judge, it says you need to know them by their fruit. You need to look at what this does said a good tree does not bring forth evil fruit. And an evil tree does not bring forth good fruit. And by your fruit you will know it. And so we find that out. So we are known by our fruits. You know the Bible says even a, even a child is known by their works. Whether their deeds be right, whether they be good. Isn't that an amazing thing in a child? And so as a tree of righteousness, we're known by our fruit. What is our fruit? Let our fruit be what's consistent, be honoring to the Lord. And then in Luke 13, it tells of a fig tree that didn't bring forth fruit. And it was there along a vineyard. And the master came, the, the Lord of that vineyard, and he saw this fig tree and he said, These three years I have come looking for figs. And it doesn't bear any. It hasn't got it hasn't got given it time. Understood this fruit bearing tree, it wouldn't bear within the first year and such. And he said to the gardener, the keeper of the garden, of the vineyard, he said, Cut it down, hew it down. Here's the term. For why cumbereth it the ground? He said, It's taking up space and it's not doing anything. He said, Cut it down. But the vine dresser, the one who did that, he asked on behalf of that tree, he said, give me another year with it. He said, I'll dig about it, loosening up the soil, aerating it perhaps. He said, I'll dog around and get it fertilized. He said, and if a year after that kind of treatment and care, it still produces no fruit, 
then it'll be cut down. Boy, that taught a lot. The Lord looks out over his trees of righteousness and says, who's bearing fruit? And the question from heaven has to be asked at some point if we bear no fruit in our life, if we're not a witness for Christ, if we bear no fruit for Him, why covereth it the ground? What's it doing taking our space? And I believe Jesus in His advocacy says for us, we give it another year. Maybe you're in the year of the digging. Maybe you're in the year of the special care. Pay attention. Let it matter to you whether or not you bear fruit. Because God did not plant this as a vineyard for us to be buried. But rather to bring forth fruit to His honor and His glory. Men as trees. And the thing I kept coming across, there's Old Testament prophecy, and then it was fulfilled so eloquently in deeds in the New Testament. And it was this statement, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And of course, the cross made out of wood carried as far as Christ's waning strength could carry it after He had been burst open by the cruel whip and the treatment he had received. But then up on Calvary's hill, on Golgotha, place of the skull, he was hanged upon a tree. And I looked at that and thought about these verses and thought of Jesus who's described both in prophecy and then in clarification in the New Testament. Jesus is described as hanging on a tree he was crucified for all men as trees who would ever grow. He went to a garden to pray under the olive trees. He was hanged on a tree in Calvary. His body was laid in a garden tomb. And one day those who know Him will go to a place where it says along the river of the tree of life, a river of life is the tree of life, which beareth twelve fruits, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. As Brother Hill used to say to me, I don't understand everything I know about this, but I know when the Bible talks about men as trees, there's a lot of interaction between us and our God. I'm glad to be part of His planting. Planting of righteousness. I'm glad to be grafted in tonight. I'm glad that He sent the Gospel out on a hayfield for an afro-headed 15-year-old arrogant boy. Let me pray with you. Father, thank You for who You are. Thank You for Your mercy, Your presence, Your power. Oh God, help us to love You, to realize what a rich heritage it is to be Your people. Bless folks today and work in their hearts through your word, please. May I ask you all a question and keep your heads bowed a moment. Is Christ your Savior? I know He is the Savior. I'm not asking you a doctrinal question. I'm asking you a personal question. Is He your Savior? I would quote to you the words we sang this morning in our opening song. What more can He say? 
than to you, he has said. You could put your trust in him. You could trust him with your life. Receive him. You're one of God's trees. I was getting in the mode of thinking about trees and I watched a little eight-minute video of men climbing the giant sequoias and what they had to do to climb them. The first branch was always 200 feet up. And I thought, oh my goodness, what an amazing tree. Oh, but yet the little trees, they belong to the Lord too. None of them are without significance in the Lord's eyes. We're going to have a song invitation. Why don't we stand together? We need to talk to someone about the condition of your soul. We would love to take the Scripture and talk to you. Maybe you just want to come fellowship with the Lord. Why don't you come tonight as our song begins to play?